0: we'll talk about uh, two uh, two things. Um, first of all, we'll talk a little bit about the Parsha. This week is the Parsha of Kedoshim. Uh, it says that, the uh, verse says that Kedoshim Tihu, that we must be holy. Holy actually means we must be separate. Separate. Something which is holy means that it's separate, that it's distinguished, it's It's either in a higher level. Sometimes, actually, could be mean also in a lower level. But it's separate. So the Jewish people need to be separate, distinguished in their uh, in the laws that apply to them, and that makes them holy. That makes them uh, a special nation, as God says, "Kikado Shani." I am holy. So He wants us, His people, to be holy. That we'll talk about that. Also, today is the second day of Er, of the month of Er, and on this day in 182 years ago is the birthday of the Rebbe Maharash Maharash stands for Marina Rab Shmuel Shmuel he was the fourth Rebbe in the line of the Chabad Rebbes so it started off with Schneers Zalman, the first one then it was his son was Dovber then it was his son-in-law no, Menachem Mendel. It's interesting that this third Rebbe, Menachem Mendel, the son-in-law, was also married to uh, Chaya Mushka, which is the same as the, our Rebbe. His wife was also Chaya Mushka, Menachem Mendel and Chaya Mushka. It's exactly the same. And you have a Mushka too. Yeah, you have a Mushka too, right? And you also have a, ma- ma- a and have a Menachem Mendel. And Menachem Mendel too. Menachem Mendel, a grandchild, right? Yeah. Well, it actually so happens that my... Um, my uh, my um, uh, Excuse s- me, May yeah. I have your tea back? I don't need it strong, just a little bit. You sure? I'm very sure. My... Um, it's green tea. Uh, sure. Uh, my grandson... Oh, okay. Hi! My grandson, um, his, his name is also Menachem Mendel. But his parents are, that's my son, and his wife is Levi Yitzchak and Chana, which is the same Mm -hmm. as the Rebbe's parents. The Rebbe was Menachem Mendel, the son of Levi Yitzchak and Chana. That was his mother and father. So my grandson's mother and father is also Levi Yitzchak and Chana. But anyways, uh, he had, the the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, he had four... um, four sons he had, I mean seven sons he had and all of his sons were great leaders and many of them became uh, admurim, they became like Rebbe's leaders of communities, but his seventh and youngest son became the next Chabad Rebbe so Shmuel, Rebbeinu Shmuel he was the fourth in the Chabad lineage he was the youngest son but he took over isn't that unusual? <laughs> yes, it is unusual, and first of all, um, apparently, the others, even during their father's lifetime, have moved to other communities, and they have undertaken leadership over there, either because they married into other families, which were other admurim, or because um, their father instructed them to go ahead and, uh, and do that. Apparently, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think when the father passed away, the Samach Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, he was probably the only one at the time that was... Available? <laughs> in, uh, he, was in, he was in Lubavitch, and he was there, and he was meant to be, not only that, but he was a, a very uh, a brilliant and a very special uh, and a righteous, and of course a Rebbe, which is a very high level, and it turned out that that was meant for him to... Be the one to follow and be the fourth. baba but his birthday comes on uh, the second day of Iyar. The second day of Iyar, you know, we do the Sfira to Omer every day, so we do a special one of the uh, midos, uh, one of the um, uh, virtues. attribute virtues, attributes, and virtues. Uh, so we, we go through uh, seven times seven uh, kindness strictness. Then there is the the uh, third one is called Tuferis, That's beauty. Yeah. And the reason why it's called so it, yeah. the reason why it's called beauty is because it's sort of a combination of chesed and gevura together. So balance. it's it's balanced. It's balanced. It's like colorful. It's like more. It's not just black. It's not white but it's a mixture, so you have a mixture of colors, call. it's called Tiferis, that makes something beauty. And on the second day of the year, we do Tiferis, Shebbit tiferes. that's beauty of the beauty. So in other words, it's the essence of beauty. So uh, one time, the kids used to be tested by uh, their father, the Tzemach Tzedek, they used to come from, from the Yeshiva when they were young, they used to come from the class, they would be tested by the Rebbe, and one time... He tested the Rebbe Maharash, the Rebbe Shmuel. He tested him when he was a young uh, when he was a young boy, and he was like did outstanding. He answered all the questions, and he gave. And the teacher was there at the time that the Rebbe was testing him, and the teacher says, "Ah, he's doing well. Huh? he was like very, very proud of his student. Lived Russia. Uh, good Russia. Mm-hmm. good. So the father said, "What's the big surprise?" Tiferet Tiferet does well, it's to be expected because of the day that he was born. Tiferet Tiferet, beauty, beauty, it's to be expected from him to do well. So, <laughs> nothing, there's no big surprise over here. So, so anyways, uh, he was, um, um, a lot of the stories go around about the Rebbe, but one of the things that he said was, and we'll talk about it later by the end of the class. One of the things that he said was, uh, and we'll tie it in a little bit to the Parsha, hopefully, if we can. One of the things he says is, and that's what he's known, he says, the world says, that's where he started the statement, he says, the world, the world says, what does it mean, the world? I mean, the conventional thinking, basically. That means, the world says, look, if you can't go underneath, because, you know, you have an obstacle, say. So, the first thing is you go underneath. So, the world says if you can't go underneath, then you go over the top. So, you know, first you try to squeeze through underneath and then you go up. But I say, come on in, but I say, Mm. says the Rebbe, he says, no, just go, just go over the top. (laughs) In other words, go out of the box. Don't even try to. To begin with. To begin with. To begin with, you should go (laughs) over the top. (laughs) So he he was known as the Rebbe of the Khatkhilla River which means you go on a you know, a bigger scale or think out of the box you know just do things on a grander scale and matter of fact also as a Rebbe he's, um, his demeanor and his presentation was always on a wealthier way some of the rabbis lived more uh, on a uh, more modest way to say a more simpler way and he was more expressive, and, and somebody once had a criticism, why does the Rebbe have to live in such a way? And So the other said, the answer was, who do you think? It was the That's right, exactly. So what he said... What do you think, what, what, why is gold and silver, why was it created in the world? For the Goyim? It's created for the So they should use it in a positive way. But anyways, we'll talk about it a little later. But today, But that's like we'll an approach to life. Yeah. Like when you have a challenge, the kids will always say, just don't get depressed. Don't think, okay, how am I going to squeeze by? Just like... Go for it. Go for it. Right. Yeah. Which Rebbe were you referring to? The Rebbe Maharaj. He raised his birthday, Rebbe Shmuel. So now, four? what? Number four. four. He's number four. Number four. name is Shmuel. And actually the name Shmuel, they asked once, the Tzemach Tzedek is the one that gave him the name Shmuel. So he says, why Shmuel? There's no Rebbe's name. Who, who's he named after? Shmuel? Doesn't seem like we have a son who's named after, you know, Baruch Hashem. When Hashem gave us our seventh son, we had all the Rebbes covered. <laughs> <laughs> we, had one, <laughs> we had one Rebbe. <laughs> No, actually, the previous Rebbe's name is Yosef Yitzchak, but we named our oldest son Levi Yitzchak, so we can't give Yitzchak again. So that was so we don't have a Yosef. We don't want to give so. But we had all the Rebbes, so finally they, they gave us our seventh son. So we named him uh, Shmuel. Shmuel Isaac. We named him Shmuel. Shmuel was named after the Rebbe Maharash. So today he's also he a grandchild Shmuel. Yeah, have grandchild, grandchild Shmuel. So he asked him Yakov. <laughs> Yaakov. Yeah, Yaakov. Oh, very nice. So the Rebbe asked. So they asked the Rebbe. Uh, they asked the father. They said, "Who was he named after?" We don't know any Shmuel in the family. Who was he named after? Perhaps after the prophet Shmuel, after Shmuel Hanavi. Okay. And the Rebbe he said, "No." He says he named him after a water carrier in the city. I forgot which city it was over there. He named the city. It was like a simple water carrier, but he was yeah. like a hidden tzaddik, yeah. and he was a great yeah. yeah. He was a great tzaddik, and he was a disguised tzaddik. So. I mean, the Rebbe knew who he named him after after the great uh, after a great man, but in, in the olden days there were a lot of great tzaddikim that didn't uh, show what they really were, and they did it in a very modest, and a very hidden way. So people didn't know. So the Rebbe gave a name after that that water carrier. But in any event, so but actually he's also related to Shmuel. He had a short life. Um, I think Shmula Mavit says lived for 52 years. I'm not, I don't want to give the numbers because I have to look it up again. I'm just talking about. But yes, it was approximately... This is 100... i just tell you, he was born 182 years ago. 182. 182. Almost 200 years ago. 182. I think it's 1841 or something like that. Wow. Uh, about 1841, something like that. So, in any event... Um, so, we'll talk about it later. But first, let me talk a little bit about the Parsha... Um, about this week's parsha, so there is a very just an interesting verse in the parsha, which um, is a basis. It just gives us a. Um, Rashi says in the very beginning that this particular uh, section was given while all Jews were assembled. Some of the the general way the way the Torah was transmitted, God spoke to Moshe, and then Moshe would call in Aaron and teach him first, and then Aaron would sit next to him, then Moshe would call in Aaron's sons, and then teach it again, that would be a third time, and they would sit next to him, and then he'd bring in the elders, or the leaders, didn't see him, teach it again, and then he'd teach it to all Jewish people. Presumably, I don't think that everybody packed in at the same time, maybe over several times, not sure exactly, but this this, this was the general order, so it gave, went in order of... Importance: the ones who learn first. That's the way it, it, you normally submit it. But there were exceptions, like we know. This year is a year of hakil gathering. Sometimes there was a command, and this was a command that was given for the generations that this year, like a year after shemitah, should be a year of hakil. Everybody gets together. You, you 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 teach the oldest, the the greatest, together with the most simplest, even the children. Everybody is there together, and they're taught. So there were some times in the desert, some occasions in which Moshe did not teach in this regular order, but rather he would get everybody together and tell them what Hashem said. So in the opening of this parsha, it actually says right away it says he spoke to the entire community it says says, Hashem says to him, speak to the entire community of Israel. So how is he going to speak to the entire community of Israel? And it doesn't, it must mean something different than usual. It doesn't mean in the regular order because everything was spoken to the entire community of Israel. Eventually, everybody was told about it. So why does the verse say over here, speak unto the community of the sons of Israel? What does it mean? And Rashi points out, Rashi explains... What it really means that they were all gathered together. That, the, that the, this particular uh, statements that were given over here, the commands that God is giving to Moshe Rabbeinu, that we read in this Parsha, were given, bahakel. they were given while everybody was gathered together. But Rashi says, why? Why, is this, why was this different? Why is this Parsha? Why is this different than everything, the whole other Torah that's not given in such a way? Rashi points out, we're not going to get into the very detail, just to say, Rashi says that most of the Torah commands, the bodies of the Torah, hinge on this Parsha over here. So that means that the following laws that we have here are many, and they're important, and this is because of the majority of the myths of the Torah are in this Parsha. It was given in a special... Way that everybody was hakil, everybody was there, and Moshe Rabbeinu gave it over to everybody together. That's what Rashi says in the beginning. So one of the verses that follow this, in, in many verses, in many halachas that we talk about, here's all beautiful, and we can study everything. But I wanted to stop today at the verse in which it says in the um um over here it says. Um, I'm just looking at the verse over here. I read something like 93 commandments were given in 67 Pasukim. 93 67 Pasukim? Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's possible. Um, oh, the Rebbe has a very. Uh, okay, so this is actually in the beginning of Shani, which is in chapter 19, and this is verse 15. Uh, so. In one verse, actually, he just tells you a whole bunch of laws. He says, Not to do any injustice in judgment, which means can't uh, corrupt the uh, the judgment itself. Rashi explains each one of these things. It says also, Don't favor the poor person, like you know, when you're doing judgment, like... Maybe uh, don't say, well, the guy is poor and the other litigant is is wealthy. Anyways, the wealthy person should give tzedakah, so why don't I say that the poor person is right and therefore he'll get the tzedakah from the wealthy person to him by just No, you can't do that judgment. You're not allowed to favor or give honor to somebody who's a great person in judgment. You cannot offer a seat to one and not the other, you can't, you must, everybody must be equal. And then it says, <speaking in Spanish> with justice, then it says, also talks about Lashon Hare. it says, <speaking in Spanish> not to go ahead and be like a peddler. So we're actually talking about a peddler, it calls him, it calls it a peddler or a, a spy, uh, a meragil, uh, uh, because, as Rashi explains, why is he a peddler? Because the people that speak Losh what they do is they go into somebody's house, and they try to see, what is news? What can I go and give over somewhere else? So they go in one place and give over. So they're like a peddler who's peddling, you know, buying stuff, little things here and there, then going ahead and giving it out to other people. And then finally, this is which I wanted to uh, speak about today, it says, "Loisamoid al That's all in one verse, all these commands. It says, loy don't stand, literally it means, don't stand on your fellow's blood. al dam Don't stand on your fellow's blood. What does it mean? Here, don't stand means, don't stand by idly. In other words, don't, do not do nothing, don't do nothing, uh, when you see the blood of your friend. Which means, as Rashi explains, what it really means is that if you have an opportunity to save another individual, you can't just turn away and say, I'm going to mind my own business and let the person die. And Rashi actually gives an example over here. And Rashi, what does it mean? Rashi says over here, he gives an example, he says, You can't see somebody dying if you can save him. As for example, let's say he is drowning in the river, and then it says or an animal or bandits are coming upon him. So you cannot just leave him over there and stand by idly, but you must take action and you must get involved. So the Rebbe over here explains the Rashi over here that what Rashi is talking about. But we'll go through the whole, the whole thing that the Rebbe says over there, but I just wanted to take one point from what the Rebbe explains. The Rebbe says like this, so there's something problematic in this verse. So what, what is the verse really trying to tell us over here? It seems like the verse is trying to tell us that you can't, um, you can't just stand by idly. You must take action. Why is it written in a negative form? Why is it written, why does the Torah put it as a prohibition? The Torah says, don't stand by idly. Why does the Torah not say that it seems like the, what the Torah wants you is to take action? Excuse me. Why, why would the Torah, if the Torah means take action, that you should do something about a situation, so why would the Torah put this in a negative form, saying don't stand by idly, versus the positive, the Torah should say, save a person. If you see somebody in danger, go ahead and save them. Protect them. Do what you can to, to, to help him out. Why write it in a negative way, just a prohibition that if you stand by idly and doing nothing, then you're violating, uh, you just uh, by not doing it. Why not say the positive? And the Rebbe says, Okay. Oh, and the Rebbe says, your phone." <laughs> yeah, he might be trying to call me, in my finger. Okay. And the Rebbe says mm-hmm. that therefore Rashi concluded that this verse is trying to tell us something more than just taking action, which means it's so obvious it's so obvious that one needs to do something about a situation it's so obvious that one can do something, that one must do something in a situation when it can help why is it so obvious? because we find in many commandments before, the Torah even tells us if you see your friend lost an object, you must return the object to him. If you see your friends, uh, he has a load on the animal and the animal is kneeling, you must help him load, the, he must protect. We, we, we see the Torah is concerned not only with the physical well-being of your fellow, but even his belongings, that you must take care, you can't just stand, you must help him. There's a positive mitzvah. Hashavah Saavedo, helping out the other person, We have all these positive commands before. If we are obligated to help another person save his property from loss, from damage, of course we're supposed to help the person himself. If his life is in danger, That we should help them out. That's not even a question. Somehow the verse over here is trying to tell us more than that. The verse is trying to tell us over here... Not in an ordinary situation, you should help the other fellow. Sometimes you can think, sometimes you can think, there's certain situations that you might think, maybe I'm not supposed to help, maybe I'm justified, and maybe I have a right to stand by, despite the fact that I must help my friend, because if my success isn't sure, or maybe I'm endangering myself, Maybe, how far should I go? Should I go to endanger myself too? The Torah writes it in addition to what we know that you must help your fellow. You cannot just stand by idly when the person is drowning in the river or you have an animal, something chasing him. You can't stand by there and and, and do nothing. Even even if you may put yourself in danger. Of course, it has to be logical that you can save him. If there's nothing that you can do to save him, or it's not even a good chance that you can save him, there's no point in putting yourself in danger in a case where you're not going to do any good for the other person. But if there is a possibility, a good possibility, that you could help the other person, I mean, if you're in New York City, the police tell you, if you see somebody going to rob another person, you stay out of the way, don't come in, don't get involved. Which seems to be the opposite because you so say you might get hurt. Or call 911. Well, we're talking about even calling 911, but you know, just, you just protect yourself. But apparently, it's not always the right thing to do, not always the right thing to do not to take a stand. But what I want to speak about today is here we're talking about merely the physical danger of people, but the Rebbe equates that the same idea is actually with this spiritual state of people. So many people, or even religious people, even holy people, people that serve God, they go to synagogue three times a day, they learn Torah, they study, they spend a lot of times, but they don't make it their business to get involved with what's going on outside of them. They only, they, they, they make sure that they, their children, their environment, they make sure that they should be doing the right thing, be close to God. They do all the mitzvahs, that's all what they care about. But they don't involve themselves with other people that are drowning. So there are people, there are Yiddish people, who are not drowning physically, but drowning spiritually. There's a lot of Jewish kids. a lot of Jewish people who don't have any uh, attraction or any connection to Yiddishkeit, to 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 Judaism, to 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 anything, to God, to 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 to, to mitzvahs, to our heritage, anything. Belong. Well, they have no attraction. They have no connection over there. And basically, if you can say that they're drowning in a sea of. Americanism or European, whatever it is, different communities—they're uninvolved. They're just being totally absorbed. They're being totally uh, sunk into the and being assimilated. IPad and the what the, the iPad and the technology, technology, and they're being totally. But here we're talking about—they are totally oblivious to anything Yiddishkeit. So, are we? Do we have a right? Do we have a right to stand by idly no. and just say, okay, I'm going to do my thing. Let What goes on with the other people is none of my business. The verse says, and this is not the Rebbe's Kiddush, this is the Gemara. The Gemara says, mm-hmm. is included, the Gemara, the Talmud says that, it includes the spiritual level as well. You're not allowed to stand by and when you see that there's another Jew hurting in a spiritual level, you must take action. You must go ahead and you must Help them, but it's a lot more than that. <coughs> like the Rebbe says over here, of course, it's obvious that you must help another Jew, but sometimes helping the other Jew exposes you to some danger yourself. Because you, while you're trying to help somebody else, <coughs> you get exposed sometimes to danger. And here it's already seems like almost like a gray area. It seems like a gray area because some people think that, you know, I can't go there, I can't go in that situation, because if I go in that situation, then I myself am endangering myself. So this whole concept that Chabad, that the Rebbe has sort of brought uh, about, of the idea of sending out shluchim to all over the world. Now, of course, a shaliach who grew up or was raised in Brooklyn, raised in a yeshiva. Uh, there were uh, 20 grocery stores, kosher on every corner. For the corner, uh, there is uh, yeshivas. There is uh, shuls. 770. There is seven seventy. You have the Rebbe's over there. You have you have all Yiddishkeit and all holiness over there. Now you're telling this young couple who are just just got married, tell them, go to China. You know, go to China. In Vietnam. China there's nothing. No. I go to Vietnam. Now, there is a little danger over there. It would seem like there seems like to be a little danger. Because while we're trying to find that Jew who is drowning and trying to bring him a little bit closer to Yiddishkeit, but because you're not anymore in your own environment you might actually endanger yourself as well. So maybe you're going to, uh, you know, drown yourself maybe over there. Maybe you're not going to have a good place to send your kids to educate, for education. You're not going to have friends for your children over there. You're not going to have the kosher food. You're not going to have all the necessary things for religious life. Maybe you don't have a minion all the time. Maybe you don't have uh, easy mikvah. Maybe you don't have, I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of obstacles that, 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 that lay in the way. So, what the Rebbe says from this zikhe, what the Rebbe says is, the fact that we must help another Jew, that's obvious. But when why does the Torah say, even in a situation where you have to sort of pay a little bit of the price, and you have to endanger yourself, it is so crucial, and it's so important to go and help another Jew to help other people because that person is uh, totally going to be lost to Yiddishkeit. And I saw today actually, I read a very interesting uh, response from the Rebbe on um, the morning, and after Shul, it was a very interesting. So the Rebbe writes over there um, that, uh, you know, there is Cholamoyet. those are the intermediate days uh, between Pesach and Sukkot, we have between the days Yontav, is called Chol HaMoyed. Chol means it's not Yontav, it's not weekday, it's, uh, it's in the middle. <coughs> like one of the things that you know, you're allowed to do, so you're allowed to drive, you're allowed to, you're allowed to do a lot of things, but one of the things that it says in Shulchan Aruch is better not to do, is better not to write on Chol We don't write on Chol So people don't write on Chol if they don't have to. It's considered to be not strictly the law, it's better not to write. Of course, a Rebbe goes beyond, does always the way, the most stringent way doesn't write. And one of the Rebbes, was the one asked, you know, they wrote a question, the Rebbe wrote on Yontav, on <coughs> Chalamoy, not Yontav, on Chalamoy, they wrote the answer. And they said to the Rebbe, so the Rebbe explained, he says, when a Jew needs help in his, uh, his life, my hidr, my extreme carefulness, on is not going to override when it comes to a person who I have to save. Which basically, what the Rebbe is saying to us is that, yes, there will be a little bit danger. There is danger. There is a little danger to go out in these places. There is a little bit danger. But you have to weigh your sacrifice. You have to weigh your... Um, your level of I mean, what are you endangering yourself versus what you're saving over there. Everything you have to weigh by that. And if that's a question of life or death, and by you it's a question, you may not be at the highest level, you should give up your highest level to try and save somebody else's life. and That is the message with which the Rebbe had told us all the time. So I wanted to uh, share with you um, I just read that there's a, um, a letter, uh, there's a story about the Rebbe Maharaj, um, which, uh, like I said before, today is his birthday, and uh, this is related by the previous Rebbe, in a letter of the previous Rebbe, he writes this story. He said there was a Hasid <coughs> who lived in the city of Polotsk. It's in, in Russia. His job, his parnassa for his livelihood, He was a a smith, he used to, uh, a silver smith, and he would also fix watches, that was his job. And he moved to the city of Vladimir, which is further inside Russia. I guess Polotsk maybe is a little bit in Belarus, and this is a little, this is, Vladimir is further into Russia. So one time he came to the Rabbi Maharash. So the Rebbe Maharash asked him do you have a, a class that you give Shiro. a shir in public, a kibiyus in public? So the Chassid says that I learn myself one hour a day and on top of that he says I also have to prepare the Torah reading because besides me there is nobody there to read the Torah and he told the Rebbe, and he says that the people of the city where he lives, in this Vladimir, are very simple, totally ignorant people. He says most of the people are actually Kantonistim. The Kantonistim was um, the Jewish uh, children (coughs) were forcefully taken from their homes and in the Tsar's army they were taken there for 25 years and you know a lot of these children uh, came from very religious homes, but after twenty-five years, they knew they were Jewish, and a lot of them had great mysterious nefesh. But of course, they weren't uh, versed in the Yiddishkeit and in the in the Lachis. So he says, and so he says, most of them are these Kantonistim, and some of them are, uh, you know, were all were in the army of the Tsar Nikolai. And basically they speak Russian, they behave just like their Russian uh, friend, neighbors. He says, by and large, they don't even know how to pray anything. They just say, Amen. That's in, he's with great difficulty, he makes the blessing for the Torah with them. So that's, I mean, that's, those are the people that he's with. So the Rebbe asks him, so what are you doing in such a city? Why did you leave Polotsk, which is a Jewish big Jewish city, why did you exchange it with the Vladimir which is totally empty from people that know Torah and hold hold mitzvahs there, why did you move? So the Hasid said, I came there because of my occupation, because since I'm a smith with silver and golden vessel I also fix clocks uh, watches and of course, he says, my heart aches terribly that I exchanged it for my place of birth, of Polotsk, which is full with students of Torah and God-fearing people, and there has many two yeshivas, many chadarim. There's many shuls to dawn starting from dawn all the way till midnight. Uh, and I it breaks my heart that I moved to Vladimir, which is Vladimir, which is a empty. Well, what could I do? He says. My livelihood over there in Polosk was very, very meager, very, very small. Couldn't make a living over there. And at the time, I even asked the Rebbe, and the Rebbe agreed and blessed me. And Baruch Hashem, the Rebbe's blessing is fulfilled. I have Parnosa is beautiful now. I have a livelihood. So the Rebbe answered him. The Rebbe Marash said to him, he says, you're making a mistake, he says. He says, it's not for the physical livelihood that Hashem bring you to Vladimir. One who believes in Hashem and in the Torah and in the Divine Providence is able and has to understand that just because you physical Parnassah, God will not uproot a Jew from his family, from a Jewish city, and take him to a desolate desert amongst Ignorant and uh, people who are empty, don't know anything. Apikorsim. The Rebbe, huh? Apikorsim. Yeah, but the Rebbe says your mistake comes from a, an additional mistake, he says. You think that your job is to be a smith of gold and to fix wow. watches. That's a great mistake that you're making, Rebbe says. A service, the work of a Jew is study Torah, and the service of Hashem that led you and that's it, Hashem Yisbarech led you amongst the simple Cantonistin, amongst the soldier of Nikolai so that you should influence something with Yiddishkeit, that's why you were sent over there a Jew who thinks that Hashem may be blessed takes a Jew from place to place just because of Parnassah, just for his livelihood is not really believing in Hashem. Hashem doesn't need... Hashem, you're lacking uh, Muna because Hashem could feed you in this place. Hashem doesn't have to take you to another place to give you parnasa elsewhere. Hashem could give it to you right here. What's the difference between Palotsky and v'ladimir? What's different does it make? The Rabbi says, I blessed you that you should be successful, but a blessing helps when you work. But if you don't work, it says the blessing cannot help. So basically, the Rebbe is saying to him over here is when you come to a certain place, God sent you there. Even though you had your own reasonings for going over there, that was only, those reasonings were God's ways of saying to you, I want you to be there. But then you have to come to the realization that um, God wants you there, no. not because to take your parnos over there, but God wants you there to do something to there, to influence, to do something, to accomplish something, do something positive, something about Yiddishkeit. That's what is Lei Samid dam Reyacha. I just wanted to conclude with a story with a Rebbe, um, a story with the Rebbe, um, which I remember when I was a, a, a child. <laughs> and we talked about the, pre, the Rebbe. Marash was lachatchila River, He goes over. So this is a story. Um, I don't. I wasn't at the actual story time. I was there, but I, I didn't go along. I don't believe so. I must have been a kid of about nine years old at the time. This was in in nineteen sixty nineteen sixty six. Yeah, I was ten years old at the time. It was nine. We give away my age, but in nineteen sixty six. It was, uh, at that time, you know, on Rosh Hashanah, you go for Tashlach. So this is the story. So there's a a gentleman, his name is Rabbi Hecht, J.J. J. Hecht, Yaakov Yudah Hecht. He was a very big activist, and he did a lot of, a lot of. The, he ran the camp. Actually, the Rebetzin went to his camp over there. He ran the, the parades he ran. He was energetic, full with energy, full with, full with uh, life, and uh, he did lots and lots of stuff. My parents, when they came from back then, he helped them get into the United States, get them the visas, he was involved with the politicians, he did a lot, a lot of different things. As a matter of fact, I also asked the Rebbe a question once, uh, a cousin of mine, my father's brother's son wanted to immigrate after they started coming from Russia, he wanted to immigrate to the United States, but the government wouldn't let him in, they wouldn't give him a visa, he wanted to come to the United States, they wouldn't give him a visa, and um, you know the reason was, they said that he collaborated with an agency of his that was the official reason. It wasn't a communist or anything, but who knows. But the bottom line is, I asked the Rebbe, the Rebbe told me to go to Rabbi Hecht, the Rebbe told me. So I'm saying, so Hecht was a very, very big activist. So the story goes uh, that he went, once before Rosh Hashanah, that year, a fellow comes over to Rabbi Hecht and says, Rabbi Hecht, he says, we have a shul, but we don't have somebody, a chazan, somebody to lead the services, we don't have anybody to blow the shofar, please come, and to our shul, and you'll go the chauffeur, and you'll, you'll 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 lead the services. So we'll have we have a big minion over there, but nobody can do it. So he says, no, no, no. I Rosh Hashanah, I'm with my rebbe. I don't want to go anywhere. But they said they pleaded with him. He said, look, what are we gonna do? We need we need you need to come with us. So he sort of agreed, and he wrote the rebbe a note. He said to rebbe, I really wanted to be with the rebbe for for Rosh Hashanah, but this is the situation, he wishes the Rebbe uh, a good year, and he says he's not going to be able to be with him. <coughs> That year, Rosh Hashanah, I mean I think it was the first to decide decided to check it out, if it was Shabbos or not, but on Rosh Hashanah that, that particular year, the skies opened up, it was pouring buckets, it was just like impossible, you couldn't get out into the street. And Today they built uh, a well with fish right next to 770, that's the headquarters, so they had uh, place to go to But in those days they would go to the botanical garden. Those who know where 770 is located, you go all the way down Eastern Parkway until the Grand Army Plaza over there, there's the botanical garden. Over there there was a pond and over there there was fish. That's the place where they went for Tashluch. That's where everybody went for Tashluch. And they'd have the police protection, we'd get things thrown from the windows, you know, we had already problems then from the various different, but they had two police walking, I remember that picture was two tall police walking next to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe walking, leading the procession, and all the chassidim were walking behind the Rebbe. And this time it's buckets, 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 but nothing's going to stop us from going for Tashluch, the Rebbe. you can do tashluk until, I think, the first day of Sukkot. You could not That's, if you didn't do it, you could, but no, that's not the right time. The right time is doing a So, it's... They didn't want to The Rebbe, the Rebbe, <laughs> the Rebbe was going in the rain and everything. In the meantime, at the at the um, at the botanical garden over there, the guard who's was there in charge sitting there. It was, it w- oh, it was a Sunday actually, so I'm, I'm going to think that it must be the second day of Rosh Hashanah because Loya do Rosh, so it couldn't be. So it couldn't be the the. Uh, the so it must yeah. have been. So. so it must have been. It was the second day because when the first day is on Shabbos, you go on the second day. It must have been like that. So it was a Sunday. That's what I remember. I remember it was a Sunday. So. Uh, the guy was sitting there, he says, nobody's coming, it was empty, nobody did, this rain." he closed it, and he went home. He closed the gate. He oh, closed the gate, and he went home. And, meantime, the rabbit comes in the end, what do we do, we can't get in, the gate is closed. So, before anybody can say doesn't, the rabbit climbs the gate, jumps over on the other side, and the rabbit was already in his mid-60s already then, you know, climbs over the gate, and goes over the other side, he comes the other side, he turns to click no? <laughs> so everybody, you know, the old people, they just pushed them all over. It oh, was so you know, going over in the pouring rain, going over the gate, you know, everybody there. And okay, so they went over the gate and they went inside. Uh, okay. By the way, out already they opened up somehow. The gate was opened up. I'm not sure exactly how they did it, but it was open for the way back. Okay. And they went back. So this was the Lachatzkula river, and sort of the Rebbe led the way. Everybody was like, one, two, three, and the climbed over. <laughs> then, um, after Yom the Rebbe uh, gives Koishle uh, Bracha. He gives, uh, and Rabbi Hecht a heard a little wine from the makes cup. from the Kiddush cup when he makes Abdullah, and the Rebbe gives everybody. They go by the line. So Rabbi Hecht heard what what he missed that uh, uh, this yeah, action, this thing, this action that he missed. <laughs> So at least he wanted to get back in time so he can have a little wine from the Rebbe when the Rebbe was distributing. Uh, so he quickly comes back and he makes it. It comes to the Rebbe and he says, he says, when I won by the Rebbe, he says to the Rebbe, Rebbe, I, I hear that I missed uh, <laughs> major action what was going on over here. The Rebbe said to him, It's your note. That you sent me before Yantar that gave me the Kayak to to jump over the the defense, the, the Rabbi told him. But the fact that he did that, that's what he told that's what Rebbe told me. That, you stayed with the people, exactly. Yes. Aww. So anyways, um so this is a Lakathila yes. to tell us that you know, sometimes we can do more than we even imagine that we can do. <laughs> we just gotta go for it. Go. So go for it. Okay. All right, leave it a